0: Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count with Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Pastors are given a lot of authority by God and the church, but what happens when a pastor becomes a heavy-handed leader? With certain pastors being let go from their churches recently... The Mortification of Spin crew is taking the opportunity to talk about abusive pastors and limits and boundaries in pastoral care. Let's join the conversation. Well, thanks for joining us today. And we do want to throw out another
1: uh, desperate theologizing for you today. Actually, we have found something that we think is going to make everybody happy and put a smile on your face. Carl, you have found something that may qualify for desperate theologizing perhaps more than anything we've ever discovered before. What is it?
2: Yes, it's, it actually comes via an article written by the friend of this podcast, Rod Dreher, in the American Conservative, announcing the, the closure of what he describes as the ultra-mega-liberal Episcopal Divinity School. Uh, it's a very sad story. Episcopal Divinity School is is going out of business. Um, and so we thought we'd, we'd, you know, try to help them out. Every cloud has a silver lining. We'd give them the Desperate Theologizer Award in order to, to give them some little bit of encouragement during this time of, of darkness. And Rod, on his article, has a number of quotations from the course catalogue of the Divinity School, which I think may give a little clue as to why they're going out of business. <laughs> uh, let me read you a few. Uh, here's one from the course on Liberating Bible Interpretations, Anti-Racist and White Identity. Sounds like my kind of course straight away. (laughs) Uh, What makes an interpretation of the Bible liberating? For whom, when, where? We will explore how various stages of racial identity development and awareness present challenges to our reading of the texts and each other in order to develop anti-racist and other anti-oppression strategies for preaching and teaching from Scripture. And they draw for this, they draw on critical race theory and critical white studies, (laughs) I have to say, I I think I've missed my calling. I I think I could have been a professor of critical white studies. Maybe a
3: professor of critical pasty studies.
1: uh, (laughs) Ah, yes.
3: I don't know
2: anyone, any white guy more critical than me or or pasty guy more critical. It it, it would probably be my my zit simile, (laughs) but here's uh, here's another one. uh, Unleashing Our Voices, Voice Identity and Leadership, a course for the courageous who wish to explore firsthand the liberatory <laughs> and transformative power of their voices in community. Um, Nice one on challenging liturgical traditions, post-colonial and queer perspectives. Uh, The description is a critical exploration of intersections, a word to the wise, if ever something uh, contains the term intersection, you know you're about to be sold a bill of goods. (laughs) A critical exploration of intersections between a cluster of contemporary theologies, for example, feminist, yeah, got that, queer, think I understand that, post-colonial, pretty familiar with that word, child theology in inverted commas. Uh, no idea, not the foggiest idea. What I think is about, um, I uh, the term childish theology comes yeah. to mind as I'm reading yeah. this. But uh, was- and then there's one on feminist theory, where you look at liberal feminism, radical feminism, Marxist feminism, post-colonial feminism, womanist theorists, <laughs> Asian American feminism, uh, ginger-haired women feminism. Uh, <laughs> Women with very large feet
1: feminism.
2: (laughs) Uh, It goes on and on and
1: Man hands feminism.
3: Oh, no, stop.
2: uh, I've got to give you the Christology one before we go. Who is Jesus Christ for us today? The course will explore a number of contextual Christologies, including the black Christ, the feminist Christ, the womanist Christ, the Asian (laughs) Christ, the Asian feminist Christ, (laughs) the Latina Christ, the queer Christ, and the disabled Christ. Mm. Hard to imagine how you could compress more soul damning blasphemy yeah. to be serious here into a single sentence than that sentence. Um, mm-hmm. These people are going out of business that 's the judgment of God on them, to be quite so, frank uh, i 'll quote they're I'll, going out of business i 'll quote uh Final paragraphs. Gosh, I cannot imagine why they can't sustain enough interest among the faithful to stay open. Last huh. year, EDS's president, an abortion rights activist and lesbian who married her partner at Boston's Episcopal Church, her cathedral resigned. She stood outside an abortion clinic and said that abortion is a blessing. Wow! Uh, mm. If I were a billionaire, I would buy the EDS buildings in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and turn them over to the Anglican Archbishop of Nigeria after an exorcism <laughs> natural uh, unbelievable Unbelievable! Brilliant. Yeah. well Episcopal Divinity School we're truly <sighs> delighted that you're going out of business and we feel that of all the people we've ever nominated you are truly worthy of this week's Desperate Theologizer award
0: why don't you Been out riding fences for so long now. Oh, you're a hard one. But I know that you got your reasons. These things that are pleasing you can hurt you somehow.
2: Wasn't that awful? That's it's pretty terrible. grotesque. That is grotesque. As terrible. As
3: Carl would say, ghastly.
1: Ghast. Mm-hmm. These ghastly <laughs> people. feel like you need a flea dip after that. Ooh. Yes. Oh.
2: <laughs> yes. But, I mean, yeah. that Christology paragraph, yeah. even as I read it, I almost had qualms of conscience, actually. Yeah. No yes. Yeah. That, was, that was got very blasphemous. I know. that made me cringe. It, yeah. It was, yeah. It reminds me, uh, Todd, of that time you and I wandered around the yeah. bookstore at Yale Divinity School. Yep. And we were able to tell which books our friend Bruce Gordon had recommended, That's right. That's <laughs> because right. they were the only orthodox ones in the entire building. Yep.
3: Wow. Yep.
1: Oh, it, was, um, so, it was interesting. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, took, I took pictures of a few of the covers of some of those books. And, uh, yeah, Yeah.
3: Well, what are we talking about today?
2: Maybe yeah. I'll kick off with uh, just a few thoughts. I think we've, we've witnessed in the last 10 or 15 years a, a growing interest in the doctrine of the church. I think there's been a a good reaction within American conservative Protestantism against the radical individualism and the expressive individualism that dominates the culture. Uh, The church has started to take its corporate identity seriously, has started to take seriously the importance of New Testament teaching on the church in terms of office bearers. The danger, though, of course, is that in reacting against radical individualism, we can end up in a position where we... Uh, empower, facilitate, uh, enable abusive pastors and abusive pastoral practices to take hold of the church. And it's been interesting over the last few weeks with all the stuff that's been going on about the Trinity and complementarianism. As a team, we've received a number of emails from people describing what seemed to us, at least from the content of the emails, as abusive pastoral
1: practices. Yeah. I, You know, the headlines actually have been... Kind of uh, confirming this in many ways. There's been a couple of high-profile uh, pastors lose their jobs recently, and among the the reasons cited have been things that um, that one could could kind of equate with with heavy-handed pastoring, spiritual abuse, um, that kind of thing. There was a well-known uh, youngish, uh, young, restless, and reformed pastor in St. Louis that. Rather famously, lost his job recently, and among the stated reasons were this, you know, heavy-handed um, spiritual abuse uh, towards the people. Um, uh, Perry Noble down in South Carolina just lost his uh, job at one of the largest churches um, in the country, and there was some rather vague language listed among uh, the things like alcohol abuse, but but this heavy-handed uh, kind of authoritarian approach, and we see it happening. Um, in other churches um, as well, and and as Carl mentioned, the correspondence we get and some of the stories we hear from people yeah. with this kind of uh, heavy-handed uh, shepherding that that seeks to purify the church, I guess, perfectly uh, before we get to heaven, leads to some some really twisted approaches to to pastoral ministry.
3: So, what do you think? Um, you know, because a lot of these are from large congregations. Some mm-hmm. of them are in smaller ones. I know just. Even locally, knowing of some you know, smaller congregations where they're, they're led usually by one person, yeah. and um, I hear about a lot of abusive um, stuff coming out of there, you know what are some red flags that we could maybe offer to to listeners that you know these are signs that, that there yeah. is abuse, spiritual, pastoral abuse um, from the leadership going on in a church
1: yeah. I, you know I think one of the things that that was seen and and i I, I believe that they've been trying to correct it, um, but one of the things that that was going on in in some of the sovereign grace churches was this uh, uh, approach to pastoral care that was so heavy handed that it ended up getting in sometimes into the minutiae of people 's lives and and taking on a nature of what some people called control and spiritual abuse. And I think a lot of it was driven by, again, this idea that somehow we can truly purify the church now. And while we certainly take vows in Presbyterian churches to study the peace and the purity of the church, a pastor and elders cannot give us a truly purified church this side of of heaven. Now, there's a judgment call and wisdom call in exactly how we go about doing discipline, which is called for. but if your pastor is getting into the minutiae of your life in ways that extend beyond uh, the biblical prescriptions, then you're, at that point you're ripe for spiritual abuse.
2: Yeah, I think uh, when you look at Paul's instructions in the New Testament, they are, I wouldn't say vague, that's the wrong term, but they're very uh, general yeah. in their applications. Paul isn't writing to individuals and prescribing detailed behavior, You know, he's like, don't be drunk on too much wine, you know, don't get drunk. But he's not saying, you know, you can't drink, or this is how much you can drink, or Mm -hmm. you can only drink this kind of thing, and you can't drink that kind of thing. Uh, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Wives, submit to your husbands. Paul lays out some very general principles. Uh, So he's not using his position as an apostle to micromanage the lives of Christians. He's assuming, I think, that he's dealing with uh, responsible human beings who can take (laughs) the general principles of the Christian life and work them out in their personal lives without him having to exert a cult-like control.
1: Right.
3: Yeah, and I think if if you contrast that to these abusive situations, there seems to be in these churches a culture of fear and shame attached to that micromanaging. Um, So, you know, almost as if you have to pretend to be someone you're not, um, the grace isn't so much there from the gospel to offer. um, Even if there is a sin that needs to be confessed, um, there's such fear and shame attached to being able to do that.
1: Right. And it takes on um, the features of, you know, you're going to dress this way, you're going to... Um, raise your children exactly this way. And again, back to Carl's point, we have principles, good, sound, biblical principles on those, on those issues, but not detailed applications. And when pastors and church leaders try to codify all of the possible you know, applications for that, that's where, where abuse can be seen. And yeah. to be very careful of that stuff.
2: And I think it's also worthwhile looking when you go to a church. How do they deal with people who who sin? If I could put Mm -hmm. it that way, Mm -hmm. yeah. One of the classic approaches of cults is to destroy people's destroy the private area people have to live uh, psychologically and emotionally, and to publicly humiliate them. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's 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 a shaming. yeah. Now, one of the things that we have in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, and I'm assuming the PCA is exactly the same, is we have it very clearly laid out in our book of church discipline, the degrees of discipline and how to approach right. things. So, for example, if, let's say, a young man comes to me on Sunday and says, Pastor Truman, I, I need to confess something to you. We go into my office and he says, you know, I, I smoked pot last week or I indulged in Internet pornography last week. Uh I my, my first resort there is not going to say, okay, well, you need to stand up in front of the whole right. church next Sunday and confess that. We're going to talk about it for a bit, and probably I'm going to say to him, well, how long has this been going on? Is it a regular thing? I'm going to establish what the, the nature and the depth of the problem is in his life. Yeah. And in the back of my mind is always, how can I do my utmost to protect this person from being publicly shamed? Right. Mm-hmm. That the, the burden in our book of discipline is very much to keep the disciplining of the sin at the lowest level right. possible in order to vindicate the name of Christ right. and to recover the offender. So, for example, I could envisage a situation where somebody comes to me and says, you know, I've committed adultery. Now, that's a pretty heinous sin. Mm-hmm. One of the questions I'm going to ask is, well, how many people know about this? And if this person says to me, well, everybody in the church knows about it, I'm going to say, well, I'm afraid then we have to go to some kind of public discipline because the church as a whole has to hear what you have to say and has to witness your repentance. If Mm -hmm. this person says, well, it was when I was away on holiday, nobody here knows about it at all, we're probably going to come up with some fairly serious sanction, but without it having to go public. Yeah in order to let's say protect this man's wife let's say let's say this man's wife she knows about the sin. he's confessed to her but nobody else in the church knows well we're not going to humiliate her because of her husband's
1: sin unless we absolutely have to unless it's a public scandal right and that's that yeah i can i can think of of one particular um issue of of church discipline that that we had to exercise um here in the last couple of years and and it was it it only went before the church after a process that lasted two years privately and it involved counseling it involved admonitions it involved working with several people and the the point was is that is that we exhausted every effort we possibly could in mm-hmm. private before it finally went to the congregation and and as Carl said you know our book of church order has very clear boundaries. This is how church discipline is to be done. And if your church doesn't have something like that, that lays it out very clearly so that it not only um, protects the church so that it allows church discipline, but also protects the church from overzealous yeah. discipliners, then then you need to relook at your, you need to take a fresh look at your process.
3: You know, I've like frequently heard too, um, just in area churches surrounding me where, um, It's just like a top-down type of leadership. The pastor pretty much holds most of the leadership in the church. Strange, uh, strange shaming coming right from the pulpit for far less. um, I mean, I wouldn't even, they're not even sin. I mean, like one case was, you know, calling out someone in the church without naming their name, but everybody knew who it was, who had recently lost a lot of weight. (laughs) you know and just said that you know clearly this person must be cheating (laughs) having an affair you know like
1: just uh, horrible horrible one of the things i tell people to watch out for is if you can routinely tell who your pastor is angry at based upon how how he's preaching then you're in a spiritually abusive church Mm -hmm. and i've seen pastors do that where where he each Sunday becomes a rant against a particular person, unnamed, but it's clear to everybody who it is.
3: Right. Oh, it's terrible.
1: What happens if you're angry with everybody like I was, am, Todd? <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, that's healthier because then you're not singling anybody out, you see? That's good. That's good, yes. Right, right. Um, yeah. You know, Amy, you talked about that top-down leadership, yeah. and this is one of the things that, that church members need to watch out for. Mm-hmm. They, they need to know to whom is their pastor accountable. Yeah. And I, I'm not satisfied, having grown up in a congregational church, I'm not satisfied with the answer of, well, the pastor's accountable to the congregation. Uh, yeah, that hopefully. typically doesn't work out well. It, it typically doesn't look like what we would call genuine accountability. Mm-hmm. Th- there needs to be a body of men that this pastor reports to directly. And those men need to be members of the church, not some outside board yes. like some of these new mega pastors are doing.
3: Yeah. The church government definitely plays into this. And, and another thing that's kind of connected to that that I see in abusive situations is whether it's a top-down just from like one pastor or maybe a group of elders. And often you'll see there's like a secretiveness going on from the leadership where uh, the congregation can't really penetrate right. to, to know about how decisions are made um, right. yeah. or even to be able to approach them. Mm-hmm. You know, there are churches where you can't get the the email of your pastor, right. <laughs> or his or his phone number if if you need to right. talk, you know, to his office.
1: Exactly. And
2: I think some of this goes to pastoral responsibility as well. Pastors need to be available. Now, yeah. with, with my full-time job, I'm not as available in terms of visitation, etc. During the week, as a lot of pastors. But on Sunday. When I finish my preaching, I give the benediction, I go straight to the back door, I shake everybody's hand, and then I hang around for an hour in the lobby where we're having coffee and snacks. Mm-hmm. Anybody okay. wants to speak to me can. Mm-hmm. Pastors need to make themselves available. If your pastor is not a, an approachable person, if he's not an accessible person, uh, if if there's a secretive culture at your church, if there's no book of church order, mm. these are all real red flags that that there could be problems there. I mean, one of the questions you need to ask as a church member is, if the pastor comes after me unfairly, what can I do about it? Right. And yes. if the answer is, there's nothing I can do about it, or nobody knows what I can mm-hmm. do about it, I'm inclined to say, maybe you should think about leaving that church and finding one where the procedures are clearly laid out
1: right uh-huh. carl you and i are <coughs> members of presbyteries yeah who hold us accountable yeah any member of our church has ready access to a process that can yeah. step them through how to appeal a situation that they believe is unjust yeah. yeah and i know of examples where presbyteries have disciplined pastors and elders for being abusive yeah. so it, it's not just smoke and mirrors and i can tell you in the presbytery i serve if I was being spiritually abusive and it was clear that that was happening, my presbytery would discipline me. Yeah,
2: yeah. Now we we, we need to be realistic and say it's it it's still tough sure. for a
1: congregant to to go through that process. Yeah. and it's it shouldn't not, be easy. It shouldn't be easy. No, no. Because but it charges should, charges should be charges should not be easy to make.
2: That's true, and I think it's also fair to say that the culture of presbyteries is such that it will always be loaded slightly in favor of the office bearer as opposed to the congregant but i think those are are decent safeguards and it can work the other way i mean i was involved a few years ago in a a very tricky case in my own presbytery where there was a, a man and a woman involved and i remember being basically having to advocate for the woman in this situation and it really struck me uh how tough it was for her to come to the presbytery, a room full of 40 guys right. yeah. and, and and make her case. Uh, uh, and I think that if you, you need to be in a church where somebody will advocate for you mm-hmm. like that, if I could put it that way. Um, so there are cultural aspects to this as well. But if you don't have a book of church order, if you don't have a process, you don't stand a chance.
1: Right. You really and, don't. Exactly. And, I, and again, I would add that you know, what we don't want is a process where it is so easy to make charges against a pastor no. that he spends all of his time dealing with scoundrels in the congregation. And, and Paul
2: is very clear on that, that you need yep. several witnesses. Do not entertain an right. accusation against an elder
1: unless there are several witnesses. Exactly, exactly. But, but, but you're right. If, if, you're, if you're going into a church, you need to be able to ask questions like, is there a book of church order? That clearly lays out how you do discipline, how you do shepherding and, and, and congregational care. Is there something in your book of church order that clearly lines out how your pastor is accountable and to whom? And if none of that is codified, you need to be concerned. Not because pastors are automatically bad people, but they are sinners. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And don't be frightened to speak to other Christian friends from outside the circle. Sometimes when you're in a
2: church context— what is weird can very quickly become normal to you.
3: Right. right. Yes.
2: It's often chatting to people from other churches mm-hmm. and you'll say, mm-hmm. well, actually my pastor told me this or my pastor insisted on that. And somebody will say, well, actually that's odd. My mm-hmm. pastor has yeah. never done that. So right. have a, small c catholic group of christian friends so not exactly compare notes but so you're aware of Mm -hmm. the different leadership cultures that are out there in in various churches make you more sensitive to the the aberrations within your own context Mm -hmm. exactly
1: Yeah. yeah that's a great point because as you said when you're in the midst of an abusive situation long enough you begin to think well maybe maybe i am crazy
3: maybe it's me right you know maybe i just can't conform the way I need to. Maybe I'm not right. a good enough Christian. Right. Yeah, I've, I've talked to, um, I hate to say, over a handful of women who have um, definitely had that feeling. So I've been yeah. able to be that person for them and, mm-hmm. and confirm, no, this is wrong, right. and um, and help them through that process. Well, I feel like we've just kind of scraped the tip of the iceberg here on this important, important issue of um, abusive churches. And so maybe we can write more about this or talk about it more. Please be sure to um, check out our website, org, where we are regularly updating with different blog posts. And, and if you like what you hear, consider supporting us. Um, there's a donate button over on the website. We are a listener-supported podcast, and we appreciate that and we will talk to you next time. Let me
1: be your leader Let me have control The way I see it It's got to be
2: right for you I could be a pilot Through the storm and sea. The way you see it It's just a case
3: of trusting
0: Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, Bully Pulpit, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. The Alliance is a coalition of pastors, scholars, and churchmen who hold the historical creeds and confessions of the Reformed faith and who proclaim Biblical doctrine in order to foster a Reformed awakening in today's church. It's important for a pastor to surround himself with people who support him and keep him accountable. That's why at our website, mortificationofspin.org, we're offering a follow-up message, Pastoral Self-Care, Friends and Mentors by Daniel Doriani. This message was given at the recent 2016 Faithful Shepherd Pastors Retreat. Be sure to head over and listen to that. And join us next time for this discussion on church membership.
3: Do you have them submit things and your members submit things and write? Well, they just
0: they just send an emoji. Emoji. We send
2: yeah, an emoji if, and they. If, yeah, we send a smiley emoji. So if and they get a smiley face back, yeah, then they <laughs> members. About they're in. They're right,
1: in. right. We ask them about their 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 profession of faith in Christ. We ask we ask them to define the gospel. We ask yeah. them about. Um, uh, uh, their their Christian growth if they're married we ask them about their relationship with their spouse
2: do you ask them who they're going to vote for we ask them who they're going <laughs> to vote for I hear for. these rumors about your Facebook posts if, <laughs> if, they,
1: if they watch MSNBC they're automatically
0: <laughs> eliminated from church membership that and more next time and in the meantime don't forget to read and subscribe to the Mortification of Spin blog and to listen to Pastoral Self Care Friends and Mentors by Daniel Doriani we'll talk to you next time
1: of some of those books and, yeah man.
3: well what are we talking about today
1: okay so we're going to talk about uh abusive pastors how do we want to intro that
3: <clears throat> oh that's i was trying to intro that by saying oh that. sorry <laughs> <laughs> i
2: think you just intro it amy very very Woo. bad intro there <laughs> hey i well,
3: made it
0: casual maybe yeah. i'll kick off with uh just a few thoughts